Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hi folks, I'm Bob Main, and welcome to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. And this is episode 488 to be exact. It's October 1st, 2019. Thanks again for listening, for tuning in to a practical show done by a practical guy, and that's me. As you know, if you've been following me for a while, I'm not an industry insider, I'm not a gunsmithing expert. Matter of fact, uh, I'm not even one of the top gun rights activists in the USA, but I'm just an everyday guy taking my Second Amendment rights very seriously. Ten years now doing this podcast, and I just uh, share my experiences with you and see if it makes sense to you all. So this episode, I've got some listener voicemails. These are long overdue. I apologize. Uh, Some of these came in three or four weeks ago. And uh, there's some really good topics here. So it's going to kind of be a a mixed bag of topics, but I'm going to answer these voicemails and do the best I can to give the callers a good answer and also all of you out there listening to give you hopefully something you can learn from here and maybe stimulate some more questions if some of you have some more comments and questions along these lines or even on a different topic i welcome voicemails my number is 210-646-1727 i'm in the great state the great gun-friendly state of texas in san antonio and so that's where that number is going to 210-646-1727 as a reminder this show is sponsored by concealment solutions makers of excellent holsters i've got six or seven of them If you want outside the waistband, if you want inside the waistband, if you want all Kydex, if you want a hybrid holster, if you want an appendix carry, check them all out. Concealmentsolutions.com. And if you use the one word, excuse me, one word coupon code, which is HandgunWorld, you get a 10% discount when you check out on all holsters from concealmentsolutions.com. So let me get right to the very first voicemail. Hey, Bob. This is Tim from NC. Just wanted to comment on your recent podcast where you were talking about keeping your carry and practice guns consistent as far as the type. You know, you particularly referenced striker-fired versus 1911 or double-action, single-action. And you said that it's probably not a big deal if you mix and match brands uh, one comment I would say about that is that you do need to be careful because it's not just about the type of gun, the type of action. It's also about the location of the controls. If you were to mix and match an HK with a Glock with a 
Smith and Wesson, you're going to find that the mag release and the slide stop or slide release, as you prefer, are in different places and sometimes radically different places with the HK and their uh, trigger guard mag releases. And that's something to be mindful of because you want to make sure that with, you know, your self-defense guns that you are not going to have to think at all about how to operate the gun, not just pull the trigger, not just get the gun off of safe and, you know, into the fight. But if you do have a malfunction and you need to reload or have to drop the slide, you're not fumbling around trying to find the levers. Just my two cents. Appreciate the podcast. Thanks. Well, Tim brings up a very good point here. I have mentioned that before, that you should pick a striker-fired or hammer-fired gun or 1911-style handgun, whatever it is, and stick to it. But, yes, he does bring up a good point that the controls are in different spots. I've noticed that making the switch from Glock to M&P and sometimes back to Glock, you know, I still shoot both of them regularly, and I don't mind carrying each one, but... Even even the difference between M&P, Glock, XD, H&K, Ruger, Sig, uh, Striker Fired, CZ, all of them have different controls, Walther and everything, all of them do have different controls in different spots. And he brought up a real good point about even the magazine release buttons. They're different sizes. HKs are on the trigger guard. Some of the Walthers were on the trigger guard, like the PPQ version 1. And so, even within picking a certain type of gun, like if it's striker-fired or hammer-fired, you may want to stick with the same brand once you pick a certain type of gun so that the controls are fairly consistent. You know, in competition shooting, it makes a big difference because even even a half of a second that you might waste fumbling around trying to find the magazine release or the slide release or the safety or something like that, That can cost you, and of course it can cost you, I think, in a real defensive gun use too, a real life self-defense defensive gun use. And folks, you got to remember, because I'm an everyday guy, that's the perspective that I use. I, I think about what does an everyday guy or everyday gal have to remember when when they draw their gun? Because a lot of you listening out there, you probably don't have many, many hundreds or thousands of hours of training. If you do, that's great. Fantastic. I would encourage you to get as much training as you can. But if you don't, then familiarity is going to be extremely important. How familiar are you with the gun and operating the gun? Because split seconds really make a huge difference. If you think about it, just, uh, you know, close your eyes, remain silent, and just do that for five seconds. And you'll see how long five seconds really is. So when you think about how much time a bad guy has to do something to you, even in five seconds they can do a, a lot of bad stuff. They they can really mess you up in five seconds. So costing yourself a, a complete second or two seconds in in not knowing how to control I mean how to how to operate the controls on your gun, even drawing, drawing out of the holster. Um try to stick with the same holster, the same belt, carrying the gun in the same position all the time same method of carry because an extra second or two can can really make a huge difference just just think about all that 
whether you're competition shooting, defensive gun use, training class, whatever it is, uh, or even if you want to look more cool, that's important, right? Looking cool, doing all this. <laughs> Especially when you go out to the range with your friends. You got to look impressive, don't you? That's half the fun. <laughs> well, you're not going to look too impressive if you're kind of fumbling around trying to figure out how do I, how do I release the slide? How do I eject that magazine? How do I get this thing drawn out of the holster efficiently? It's All this stuff's got to be second nature. So Tim br- brings up a very good point. Tim is a firearms trainer. I'll put a link to uh, his training website in the show notes for this episode. And again, this is episode 488. Since I'm on the subject of training, Ben Branham and I are teaching a class on the 26th and 27th of October uh, in San Antonio, Beyond Concealed Carry, the first day, a bunch of shooting drills. The second day, if you only want to come to one day, that's fine. We're repeating the class again November 9th and 10th. For those of you that might not be able to make it here in October, uh, come see us early next month. So go to the website, handgunworld.com. Check me out, handgunworld.com. It says upcoming training classes right in the menu of my website. It's easy to read about them, get the information you need, and then, of course, get signed up. The early bird specials are over. Some people took advantage of that, but it's never too late to get in on a good thing. So check that out once again at handgunworld.com. Tim, thanks again for calling that in good stuff. Let's get to the next voicemail. Hey, Bob. This is Dave in Utah. Uh, Just a little commentary on politics. So apparently during the uh, most recent Democrat debate, and uh, of course I'm recording this on uh, September 14th, um, during the most recent Democrat debate, Beto O'Rourke made a comment of, hell yes, we're going to take away your AR-15 and your AK-47. And um, this just honestly, you know, I think he's doing. Uh, I think he's doing Republicans and gun owners a favor. Um, I know that in the past, Diane Feinstein, as a senator, said that she would she would like to get rid of all guns if she could, but they just didn't have the votes to do it. Um, you know, there's been some commentators that have written articles after after a mass shooting that you know what we said we don't want to take them away, but you know what we really do. But, um, and I think they kind of danced around the issue before saying that, yeah, we're going to have a mandatory buyback and then clarifying, yes, you are going to have to sell back your, uh, or sell your AR-15 to the government. That was just come out straight out and said it, that, yeah, we're going to take your guns away. And then apparently he thought it was such a great quote that he, he had a t-shirt design and he's now selling it on his website. Um. Honestly, yeah, I, I I considered purchasing a T-shirt to wear it just to just so that people realize what we're up against. But uh, I think my wife would yell at me for spending thirty dollars on a T-shirt. But I think this uh, just simplifies the election. You know, if you are a gun owner, then you cannot vote for a Democrat. And if you're a gun owner that is planning on voting a dem- for a Democrat, contact me. And uh, we can set up an FFL transfer because clearly you don't want to keep your guns that you own. Um, so just 
just let me know. We'll get an FFL transfer, and I can take those guns off your hands for you because you clearly don't want them anymore. All right, Bob. Keep up the good work. Bye. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm laughing as I'm listening to Dave, but he brings up a good point. So, if you guys want to contact Dave, if you don't want your guns and you you want to you know, set up an FFL transfer, let me know. I'll put you in touch with Dave. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I try to stay away from politics as much as I can on this show, but sometimes I'm forced into it. So I'm going to get into it a little bit. I do want to add something to Dave's voicemail. Not all Democrats are against guns. Now, most of you guys know I'm a conservative uh, person in, in political nature. Well, in pretty much in everything I do, I'm a conservative type of a person. And, but, but I have learned that there are people who call themselves Democrats politically that do favor uh, the Second Amendment. They are out there. They're not very many. They're not very many, but let's let's be real careful not to put the label on all Democrats as being anti-gun. Or let's not say that all Republicans are pro-gun. There are pro There are Republicans out there that uh, that would sign on to some of this gun takeaways or uh, gun buybacks. So let's be careful with that. And speaking of gun buybacks, I, I have a question. I have a question I want everybody to ponder. You know, sometimes you hear the politicians or even the police mention that that they have a gun buyback program, right? Where they'll pay you. They'll buy your guns back from you. Well, here's my question. How can they buy back something that they never owned in the first place? You ever notice that? I mean, if you're going to buy something back, then doesn't that mean that you owned it? The government does not own our guns. The city does not own our guns. The police do not own our guns. So really, how can you buy back something that you don't own? It's always troubled me when I've when I've heard that. If, if you're a sucker for a gun buyback, then uh, I kind of feel sorry for you because... Uh, they're not going to pay you anywhere near, not even close, probably not even half of what your gun is actually worth. So if you don't want your guns, contact Dave, contact me, or just or just sell them, or even even go to a gun dealer. I mean, a a, a gun store will probably pay you more than than what these silly buybacks are going to do. And I guess I'm not even going to call them buybacks. Let's see, what, what name can I give these? Because they're not buybacks, because as I just mentioned, they didn't own your guns in the first place, so it's impossible for them to buy them back. So let's see, let's call these, um, let's call them deceptive gun purchase practices. How about that? Because whoever says that they're buying your guns back, they're being deceptive, and they're trying to trick you into doing something that you don't need to do and they're trying to trick you into thinking that there's a benefit in in them purchasing your gun that somehow they're benefiting you or they're benefiting society so it's trickery it's trickery and it's deception how's that so let's call them deceptive gun sales practice gun purchase practices deceptive gun purchase practices there that's that's the label I'll put on it deceptive gun purchase Practices by by whoever it is that's saying it, whether it's a politician or whether it's a state government, city government, federal government, local government, whoever it is that's that's doing this deceptive stuff needs to stop it and quit saying that they're going to buy something that they never owned. 
It's ridiculous. So, Dave, thank you for your voicemail about Beto Bozo. That's that's what I call him now. That's my nickname for Beto O'Rourke, Beto Bozo. Have you noticed, by the way, if you've been paying attention to what's going on in presidential politics, ever since Beto Bozo said that, that he's going he's gonna to come and take your AR-15s and AKs, he hasn't been much of a factor anymore on the political scene. Or, or was he really ever much of a of a factor or made much of a difference at all or really got very many people's attention. That's kind of questionable and maybe he did that as an attention-getting scheme. I think he actually did it because he said it because that's what he really wants to do. That's what he really believes in. And But boy, it, it sure cost him and it seems like it seems like most of the anti-gun politicians are running away from that subject, I think. It seems like it. And again, remember, uh, we, we can't just label one political party as being pro-gun and the other political party as anti-gun because I think it crosses both parties. I, I really do. I really believe that. If you have, you know, send me a voicemail or, or an email or something. If you have a, a disagreement with that, I would love to hear your comments. I, I'm always open-minded, folks, and, you know, that's why I always ask for listener participation because... I believe your mind's like a parachute. It works best when it is open. Since we're talking about purchases, remember that uh, my Amazon store is alive and well, and you can support financially support the Handgun World podcast and not even spend any extra money. I buy a lot of things on Amazon. I use my own store when I do that, but I'm inviting you to use my store. So just go to handgunworld.com. Go there first. Go to handgunworld.com. Click my Amazon store. And then go into your Amazon account. And uh, you don't have to spend any extra money, but I get a little bit of a commission from Amazon. And it helps me out, helps me keep everything going, pay for all the stuff associated with putting on this show, and uh, help me out, compensate a little bit for my time and things. I don't mind working hard doing this show as I've done for 10 years. Uh, It is nice to get some support once in a while. Or you can join the Shooters Club. Ben Branham and I have put together over 80 really cool videos and a bunch of audio podcasts, exclusive content. We don't put it out there anywhere else. $8 a month, $75 a year. ShootersClubMembers.com. That's ShootersClubMembers.com. A link to that will also be in the show notes, as well as a good link to my Amazon store and everything all over at HandgunWorld.com. One more voicemail. Hey, Bob, Tim from NC again. Just one more quick thought. Totally agree with your statement about how defending yourself needs to be something that you have ingrained to the point where it is reflexive. In talking to people, I get the impression that they think they're going to have a whole lot more time to respond and to contemplate their response if they're ever in danger. You, you hear people totally gloss over everything that's going to be involved in recognizing the threat, deciding what to do, getting their gun out, and taking care of the situation. They just say it all matter of fact, like, well, I'll just do this. And they totally miss the fact that 
in a situation like that, you are going to be so keyed up that you want all of your thought processes, your processing power, so to speak, focused on solving the problem in front of you, not thinking about which gun you have that day and where you're carrying it and how it works. Your focus needs to be on the threat. So anyway, just my two cents again, and love the podcast. Appreciate it. Bye. So earlier I talked about this in this episode. This voicemail is a great reminder for me to review the five major steps in the learning process with you, and it'll kind of enhance what Tim just said. Impact is the first step. Something has to have an impact on you. It has to make a positive impression on you, or you're probably not going to want to learn it. Then repetition. After something gets your attention, repetition is the second step. Impact, repetition. So you need to basically, whatever it is that got your attention and says, hey, you need to try this technique or or you need to, to do this one thing, then repeat it over and over again. Um, when I got my most of my uh, sales training as a, as a younger man in my 20s, I, I learned that, that repeating things over and over again, in other words, if there's a sales technique or even if there's some kind of, a, of an action that I needed to do to, to advance the sales process. And for those of you who don't know, that's my profession. Uh, I've been real busy lately, by the way, doing, doing pretty well lately. Business is strong. Uh, I'm a full-time salesperson. I'm in the hotel security products business. And uh, that's my day job. And that's what, uh, that's what keeps food on the table, etc., etc. But you've got to repeat these things over and over again. Or, or you really can't learn them. Um, you know, it, professional athletes are a great example. They have to, e- even if they're experienced and, and they know what they're doing, they still need to engage in a certain amount of practice and repetition. Even prof- professional shooters, professional shooters, they're out there practicing all the time, repeating over and over and over. That's how you get good at things. Then utilization is the third step. you got to utilize it. You got to go to a competition match and utilize it. You have to take a training class and utilize it. You got to go to the range with your friend and train, not just plink around and put holes in paper. But but go train with a friend. That's utilization. Got to put it to use. Then internalization. You have to internalize. Everything you do has to be second nature. It has to become part of you you can't think about it because it doesn't matter if you're shooting if you're golfing if you're in sales if whatever it is that you're doing if you're if you're hunting I, there's a good example i mean if you're bird hunting you got to be able to bring that shotgun up and and, and you got to be able to wing shoot and it's got to be instinctive it's got to be reflexive you don't have a lot of time to think. The bird's not going to give you a lot of time. If you're clay shooting or skeet shooting, you, you don't have a lot of time before you just mess it all up. So, so the first four steps, impact, repetition, utilization, and internalization. Which leads me to number five, reinforcement. Reinforcement. Um, it's been said that professionals go back to basics at least once a year. Think about that. Professionals, they go back to basics once a year. They repeat a class, for example. They reread a book 
for example. They go back and listen to another podcast that they listened to three, four, five years ago, for example. They watch another video, for example, because they're constantly reinforcing, reinforcing what they already know. So when you do those five steps, impact, repetition, utilization, internalization, and then reinforcement, that's how you really learn. You know what the unfortunate thing is about learning? You know, Carl Wren at KR Training, someone I'm a big fan of. I've taken several of Carl's classes. Carl has been a, a guest host on the Handgun World podcast for me, and he's interviewed other people and contributed to my podcast. Uh, he, he did a study a few years back and found that it's around 1% or even slightly less than 1% of the people who who get like a concealed carry license, for example. Less than 1% of them, or about 1%, ever go beyond their concealed carry license training. Isn't that a shame? That's a real shame. And, and, you know, your concealed carry license course was not training. that's, That's just simply not training. That's basically a summary. It's a summary of how and when and where that you're allowed to carry your gun. And uh, shooting 50 rounds or 40 rounds or 70 rounds, whatever the heck it is, and uh, standing there real slow and putting holes in paper, that's, that's not training either. But that's the, that's the proficiency training that most concealed carry, license to carry classes put you through. And, of course, we have some states in America, as you know, that don't even require a training class at all. Their constitutional carry. Nothing wrong with that. But I would say this. I mean, I, I, I am a supporter of constitutional carry. But I'm also going to say that people who just paid money, filled out a form, and went through a background check to get their license to carry, um, that's they're not trained. They're not trained. Um, so I encourage you, if you are in a constitutional carry state go get training please go get training and you know why i want you to get training not because we don't trust you with a gun don't think that that's not what i'm saying i want you to go get training so you can be effective so you can be good with your handgun and and if you think you're good there's always someone better and keep in mind there might be some bad guys who are better at shooting you know bad guys get training too uh, several years ago i did a podcast episode on that you should listen to some of my older episodes if you want bad guys they get training also their training comes from the mean streets they come from the other gangbangers the other bad guys and and they get they get training on how to kill people so if you don't have as much training as they do watch out so if you're you know, get training, even if you are in a state that requires training for an LTC license, that's not training. That's not training. Get some training. Come see myself and Ben Branham October 26th and 27th or November 9th and 10th in San Antonio. Or go wherever you have to go. Go to your local train or whatever. Um, of course, <laughs> I'd prefer you come down and see us in San Antonio, but any training that you get is most likely going to be good for you if you've had no training at all there are bad trainers watch out for those but i think if you just do a little homework you'll find the good trainers time for a quick break and then i'll be right back
Okay, back from the break. You know, getting back to that last segment for just a minute, it's often been said that repetition is the mother of learning. And I think that's true. Repetition is the mother of learning. Okay, so oftentimes I do what's called a modern survival segment to this show where I talk about some survival skills or some life skills or just some some skills to improve, improve your life that don't have a whole lot to do with shooting. So I want to spend a little bit of time on that right now. I want to talk about time. I'm going to spend some time talking about time with you. Time's the most valuable asset you have. I really believe that. Nothing is more valuable than your time. You might say, well, what about money, Bob? Well, I don't think money's more valuable than time. Because usually with time, you can earn more money. But you can't earn more time. How do you do that? How do you earn more time? It's not really possible. Everybody has the same amount of time every day. Everybody only has 24 hours in the day. That's it. You got 24 hours every day. What are you going to do with the 24 hours every day? You're going to sleep. You're going to train. You're going to educate. You're going to read. You're going to kick back and watch TV. You're going to take a nap. You're going to spend some time with your family. Everything I just mentioned is important. Everything I just mentioned is important. Even taking a nap, that that could be very productive. Watching TV with your family, doing things with your family that get you being with each other. That's important. Of course, educating yourself. I think the best education you get comes from yourself. Because even if you go like to an uh, institute of higher learning, a university or college, they're going to ask you to do a lot of things on your own. You know, you don't just go sit there. I, I, I have a college degree. I, I, I did five years, five and a half years. By the way, I, you know, I was on the four-year college plan, but, uh, you know, took me five and a half years. Or I like to say it this way. I was on the six-year plan and graduated early <laughs> in five and a half years. How about that? Yeah, I know. I was slow. And uh, I goofed around a lot, too. So... That uh, was part of the reason why it took me five and a half years. But I remember, even though it was a long time ago, it was in the 80s, I still had to do a lot of stuff on my own. I had to do a lot of things on my own. I I couldn't just go show up for class and then do nothing and pass the class. Some people can do that. I couldn't do that. So I I, I had to do a lot on my own. So I I, I think that self-education is probably as important or more important than any other education that you get going to a training class even if you go to like a shooting training class or any kind of a training class you know the instructor's probably not going to do all of the learning for you uh, he or she cannot they they cannot do that you have to engage you have to do some things on your own after the class to self educate you so if you're spending your time on education try self education okay and uh just you know, keep a log one day. Try this. Keep a log how you spend your time. When you get up in the morning, you just get a notepad, write down, I got up, and write down the time that you got up. And then just kind of keep a log. I've done that more than once, and I don't like to do it anymore because I, I shock myself. I, I kind of sometimes, at the end of the day, I look at the, the, the notes, and I kind of just... I I depress myself sometimes because I realize how much time I wasted that was not productive. Now, I've been working on that lately. And, uh, 
you might want to just, but see, you don't know how much non-productive time you have until you keep track of it or have somebody else keep track of it. <laughs> Your kids might uh, love to keep track of that for you, right? Give them that assignment. Hey, you know what? Dad wants to know how he's spending his time. So why don't you carry around this notebook every day and uh, why don't you write down how am I spending my time and 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 at the end of the day, let's sit down and talk about it. You you might be surprised what you find out at the end of the day. Okay, just some food for thought. Back to the gun stuff again. Uh, I have not had a chance to test out my um, XS F8 sights. Uh, I guess those are pretty much the newest sights or some of the newest sights by XS sights. Uh, I'm going to put them on my Glock 48. And I'm going to do that pretty soon, and I'm going to test those out and compare them to my favorites, which are Trigicon HDs, although a lot of Ameriglow sites are very good as well. And I've got Ameriglows on my uh, Glock 43. Now, I have Ameriglow Hackathorn sites on those. It's an orange, tridi- it's an orange ringed tritium front, di- front, front sight, orange ringed, tritium front sight there (laughs) i finally said that correctly and a totally black rear sight i kind of really like that combination because it gives me a lot of the best of both worlds the trigicon hds are the pretty much the same way even though they have tritium vials in the rear it kind of makes it look like in the daytime like it's a blacked out rear sight which really draws your attention to it now the xsf8s also draw your attention to the front sight but in a little bit of a different way and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to test that method. Um, so I'll be, I'll be putting those on my Glock 48 pretty soon. And by the way, you know how I kind of like to get a little bit unusual with um, some of my testing? I'm going to go shoot a couple competition matches with my Glock 48. Uh, only 10 rounds in the magazine, one in the uh, chamber. It's a gun I carry a lot. The Glock 43X I carry a lot. Those two are the the frame on those are the same gun. The frame in the magazine, same exact gun. Only difference between the 43X and the 48. Only difference. Length of the barrel, length of the slide. That's it. Uh, of course, that makes the sight radius longer. Also, I'm going to shoot some competition in the uh, in the IDPA CCP competition, uh, CCP division. Concealed Carry Pistol Division. And what's really going to make it a challenge is I'm going to shoot those guns also in the AASA competition in San Antonio where pretty much anything goes as long as you're safe. So I'll be up against people that have uh, 18 to 20 round magazines in their handgun. Even if they're shooting stock auto, they, they they allow 17 or 18 round magazines if that's what you put in a stock auto stock semi-automatic pistol so i'll be up against those i'm going to see how i can do up against uh, shooters like that with my glock 43 x and 48 and you might wonder well why am i going to do such a crazy thing well it's not a crazy thing because if i spend a lot of time carrying those guns i want to be able to perform well with those guns and I, I don't think it's a crazy thing to take your concealed carry gun to a training class or a competition match. I don't think that's crazy at all. Matter of fact, I think it's smart. You're probably not going to win the match, but it's a smart thing to do. By the way, I've had very good shooters outshoot me with a revolver, with a six-shot revolver, and I had my Glock 19. 
So I, I've had him out shoot me with a six-shot revolver in a competition match. I've had that happen to me more than once. So if you're really good with what you're doing, you're you're going to succeed. If you if you know what you're doing with what you're doing, and you know, do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I used to say that back on today's survival show. Do what you can with what you have wherever you are, and I borrowed that from Teddy Roosevelt. So. You think about it. You could be in a situation where you got to do what you can, whatever you can, with whatever you happen to have at that moment. You you may only have a five-shot or a six-shot revolver. You may only have a pocket gun. You you may only have a small single-stack 9mm. You may only have a tiny uh, 1911-45 with only eight rounds in it or something like that. Or you might be carrying a gun that has 19 or 20-round magazines. More power to you, but you're going to have to make do with what you have. Sort of like my last episode, win with what you got. And you're going to have to do it wherever you are. Whatever whatever you know position you find yourself in, whatever location you find yourself in, can you adapt? Can you adapt to wherever you are? And and that you know it's that's more than just shooting in self defense. Can you adapt to wherever you are, no matter what you're doing in life? So that's kind of how I want to leave you on this episode, and that's what I want to leave you thinking about. Do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. With all this said, remember, evil does not exist in the holster. I really hate it when people are trying to make the guns evil. They just simply are not. Evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. If you're a Christian believer like me and you study, like you study your Bible, for example, you'll 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 understand that. You'll read that. But not just the Christian religion. Many religions understand that Evil does not exist in the, in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. This is not this is not a religious show and, and things like that. I'm not trying to preach a sermon. I'm just trying to make a point that inanimate objects don't have evil. It's the people that use them that have evil in their hearts and in their minds. Watch out for those people. Be prepared. So I'm Bob Main. You have listened to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast where I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. Remember to shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you on the 15th.